So, hello and welcome to this week's instalment of Nicholas Investment Insights. Uh, and we've entitled this one, Housing Bust Ending. So, uh, there's been a little bit of a resurgence in mainstream media of uh, well, some green shoots, perhaps signs of life that the uh, the housing bust is perhaps drawing to a close. So, we thought it uh, a great time to revisit a uh, almost perennial topic on the uh, Investment uh, Insights podcast and uh, run through some some data updates and uh, give us give everybody our point of view. I'm joined today uh, by a, a full table, actually, and I have uh, going around in, in no particular order our Chief Strategist, David Llewellyn-Smith. Welcome, David. Hi, Tim. We've got our Chief Economist, Leith Van Onselen. Haven't been on the uh, show for a while, Leith, so welcome back. G'day, Tim. And, of course, our Head of Investments, Damien Klassen. G'day, Damien. Hi, Tim. Very good. So we'll jump into it. So um, as mentioned, it's uh, we're going to be coming from a reasonably data-driven uh, viewpoint, as as always, and what you'd expect from the uh, the MB team. And we're going to be looking at some things like declines from peak, uh, finance and dwelling growth, city sales and pr- uh, price growth, construction and population change, and finishing up on uh, dwelling approvals, and of course. Uh, Plenty of opinion and uh, an insight along the way. And as always, we'll finish off with uh, implications for investment on how we run money every day here at Nucleus Wealth in the MB Fund. So with no further ado, I'll hand over to... Leith looks pretty uh, chafing at the bit there, so uh, let's get going. Leith, declines from peak overview. Yeah, so um, look, there's been a lot, as Tim alluded to, there's been a lot of discussion about Australia's housing bust sort of nearing an end and we're, we're, we're reaching a bottom. And this view's basically been brought, brought around by a few factors. Um, first of all, the monthly declines have been shrinking. So, whereby at the end of last year, we had property losses, uh, property declines of about, you know, more, more than 1% per month. They've, uh, they've slowed to about 0.4% um, in April. And, uh, and, over, and also quarterly declines are running at about nearly 4% at the end of last year. And they're now slowed down to about 2%. So... That's um, that's that's got a lot of people in the property media excited that um, that that house prices aren't falling as quickly and you know they're pointing to a rebound. On top of that, we've had a bit of a jump in uh, auction clearance rates, although they're still running below levels of last year. And of course, there's um, there, there's a whole whole bunch of talk about interest rate cuts and a whole lot of other things that we'll talk about a bit later. Um, I, I, I guess today I want to sort of curb the enthusiasm a bit uh, because while Monthly and quarterly declines have shrunk. A lot of that's actually, um, a lot of that is actually seasonal. So, the first four months of the year, uh, property prices are generally stronger. Um, so, a better way to look at it is actually to compare year-on-year declines, and those are actually accelerating still. Which means that uh, you know, for example, April 2019 fell at a faster rate than April 2018. Um, that means the annual losses are still rising. Um, we've got Sydney and Melbourne's annual losses are running at double-digit rates, and nationally we've got losses running at around nine percent. Um, so there isn't a whole lot of evidence that that um, that the the market, at least in terms of prices, is recovering. Um, and just to start, just to kick the old data, uh, the old data deluge off, um, we've included a chart here which basically shows the declines from peak across the major markets. And for those of you, those of you watching it live you notice that the, the declines have actually steepened um, over recent months. And um, and at the five-city level, the peak, to, the peak trough to declines so far are running at about 10.4%. Uh, we're looking at um, about 11% in Melbourne, nearly 15% in Sydney, and Perth's running up to nearly 19%. And I will add that this is actually the, 
the deepest bust and the second longest in around 40 years of CoreLogix data nationally. Uh, Sydney's experiencing its second longest bust on record and also the second deepest. <coughs> Melbourne is experiencing the deepest bust on record, the second longest, and Perth's experiencing both the deepest and longest bust on record running at, uh, at around four and a half years. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I guess my, um, my key point is that, no, there isn't any evidence that the market is turning around if you just look at the data. Mm. And that's also confirmed by the next chart. Uh, which Before you move to that, can I just give a bit of a, a leak on some of tomorrow's data that you've you've already uh, loaded up at MB? Yeah. Just to underline the point that you're making about seasonality and prices, we know that uh, Q2 is always a seasonally very weak period, especially May, and CoreLogic of a, a, a number of times actually re- reformed their indices to try and clear up weakness through the Q2 period. Uh, and, you know, we've got a couple of weeks now from sort of late April and, and early May where the, the bus has already re-accelerated pretty dramatically in the last couple of weeks. Uh, now, obviously, when, when you're w- operating on weekly data, it's very noisy, etc. but it, it's just a, a, a nice illustration of your point that, uh, that seasonality is playing some role. And also, yeah. and, and adding to Dave's point, the annual losses again rose this week versus the previous week, and they rose previous week versus the week before. So um, it gets back to this point that there is a lot of seasonality in the data. And in fact, when you the, 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 there isn't actually much price evidence that the market is is improving if you look at if you you know if you take into consideration the seasonality. Mm, okay, sure thing. We'll jump across to the next one now. So we've got uh, finance versus dwelling growth. So Australian finance commitments uh, versus dwelling price growth. And I'll, I'll, I didn't mention before, but I will chuck in, chuck in the uh, link to the slides for those that are listening. On the audio as well, um, so just check it. Wait for that one. Yeah, well, we haven't gone too slide heavy today. There's only uh, about half a dozen, so uh, we'll, we'll focus more on the discussion. But what, what we've uh, what I put up here is a chart tracking uh, housing finance commis- uh, uh, commitments, the value of housing finance commitments versus dwelling prices, dwelling price growth. And the reason why um, this is probably one of my favourite charts um, or housing metrics you can use because it's incredibly strong correlation between uh, the value of housing finance commitments and dwelling price growth, as you'd expect. And um, anyone who's watching this live will see that uh, that the growth in um, housing finance com- commitments remains firmly negative. It's still falling. And alongside that, obviously, the annual growth in, um, in, in dwelling values is also falling. So until we start to see um, housing finance commitments start to pick up, it's unlikely that, that house prices will, uh, will in fact, bottom. Mm, okay, sure thing. And... Segwaying on to the next one, um, th- this is a similar sort of chart. We've basically uh, tracked capital city uh, house sales volumes, oh, sorry, dwelling sales volumes, that's houses and apartments versus price growth. And again, there's another incredibly strong uh, correlation here. And Actually, let's just, can we just wind back to that previous one because it's probably, it probably flicked over too quickly that sort of that whole thought behind this um, finance commitments because uh, I guess just for context, there's obviously a... Um, <coughs> We've been through this period where where credit was incredibly easy to get, and then we've we've uh, we've hit the Royal Commission, and the Royal Commission has decided, well, you know, assessing people at, at poverty rates uh, to to work out whether they can uh, take a loan is, is is not a good thing, and you actually need to assess them at, at realistic rates, uh, and that sort of flowed into uh, a sharp contraction in credit, which we sort of see seen on this graph, but you know, at, at, for anyone sort of. Uh, on, on the podcast, you know, there's a, there's that line pretty much 
from uh, as the Royal Commission starts is, is when you start to really go negative. So the the the, the concept now is that it's bouncing around, and, and David, you've discussed a few times is that uh, whether there's pressure on the on the RBA or, or APRA, more importantly, I suppose, to, to, to loosen up again in terms of the uh, so in order to, to, to let the finance back out. Yeah, it's right. the interest rate buffer is what they want to. Well, that's, that's, I think, the key discussion for, for the entire presentation. I wonder, should we just come back to that the, once we've run through the charts? Yeah, because there, there, there's that and a few <laughs> other policy things that um, and interest rates and negative gearing and stuff like that, which probably all factors. Okay, yeah, yeah, sure thing. No worries. All right, we'll jump into city sales versus uh, price growth. Yeah, um, I, 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 I won't bore everyone too much longer with charts because they're they're actually just about over. So uh, then we can get into the get into the meat and potatoes. Um, so again, we've got um, capital cities city sales volumes of tanked to below the levels that we saw in the GFC, and they're running at the lowest level since I think the uh, the nineties. And again, there's a very strong correlation between uh, sales volumes and prices. Um, both are incredibly weak. Um, just to put some quick numbers around that, Sydney's sales volumes are down 44% from peak. Melbourne's are down 34% from peak. Brisbane's are down 28% from peak. Perth's are down 35% from peak. Whereas across the combined capitals, um, sales volumes are down 31% from peak. So pretty much all a third or more. Um, so they're you know, obviously very, very heavy falls there, which is um, interestingly, there's uh, an article that's come out today about how there's massive losses in the real estate industry. Mm. Uh, they're looking at 15,000 job losses. Uh, again, most the most since the, the GFC, um, and that's that obviously reflects lower commissions from lower sales volumes primarily. Um, we'll skip across the next one. Now we've shifted away from the actual prices towards um, the real side, um, dwelling construction. So, for those of you uh, listening, uh, we've got we've got a chart here tracking um, annual dwelling approvals, commencements, completions against population growth, and uh, while um, completions and commencements are still running at pretty high levels. They are starting to turn, whereas the big warning sign for the Australian uh, housing market is that dwelling approvals have, have, have crashed. So after peaking at 242,000 in the year to August 2016, they're now down 18%. They've gone below uh, 200,000. Um, if we flick to the next chart... So, so in, a, in a way, though, that's, it's sort of it's two-edged in terms of this, isn't it? The higher it stays for the longer it stays, then the worse the, the, oversupply. Worse, the worse you oversupply. But the flip side is uh, the Australian economy is incredibly reliant on on, on the construction jobs. And so if the 9%. construction jobs aren't there, then and, and the multiplier effect of those, you know, then then you um, you know, unemployment starts to rise. So it's sort of that uh, yeah, it's a it's the flip side of saying, Well, it's it's a sign that's that the, the faster that the faster the commitments falls away, then the sooner you can expect housing market to to uh, to stabilise. But the flip side is, the faster it falls away, the worse it is for the Australian economy, which for, means unemployment. Yeah, which means uh, the downturn is probably going to be worse. So anyway, yeah, it's, it's also basically a pincer. It's also interesting to note that the uh, the contemporary uh, sort of global expert on bubbles, Jeremy Grantham, mm. uh, always looks for this pattern for for. Uh, the the um, culmination or, or end of a, a bubble and an entrance of a bust as he looks for a massive surge in supply. Yeah. Um, as a as a typical kind of turning point, you can debate whether this one's massive enough, but we've certainly had one. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it, it does it, it does look massive when you look at it, although we did obviously have a massive population spike as well. So, uh, But I, I guess the key point is that, um, as Damien alluded to, 9% of employment, or just over 9% of Australia's employment is in construction directly. Mm. And um, arguably dwelling construction is the most sensitive uh, to, um, you know, that there's more people, it's more job intensive dwelling construction than, say, infrastructure construction. Yep. And, um, and it, yeah, that's right. It's, yeah, it's especially mining, way more than mining. So, so as the, as the dwelling construction bus gathers steam and it's, you know, it won't really show up hardcore until the latter half of the year and into next year because, um, dwelling approvals are, you know, leading indicator by many months. Mm. Um, but when it does, you know, kick in, we're likely to see a big rise in unemployment. Construction job ads are cratering. Yeah. As we speak. So, yep. yeah. Just a quick one. Um, so obviously we've, we've sort of got the, the, the life cycle essentially, uh, approvals, commencements and completions of property there. Um, units and houses are baked into these figures? That's right, yeah. yeah so okay. I, I, I've just combined them. Um, most of the up, uplift we've seen over the last five years has been in uh, high-rise. Mm. Uh, I didn't bother putting it in here because I didn't want to um, complicate it too much. But, yeah. but we saw a massive high-rise um, you know, construction surge across the three major markets, so Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, as well as the ACT. Mm-hmm. Um, Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane are all collapsing. Mm. Um, the approvals are collapsing. ACT is still up at ridiculous levels, but they don't really move the needle. Crazy numbers of cranes. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Crazy. Like there are more cranes in those four cities than all the US. Yeah. Like it was... And, 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 and the perverse thing about it is, although the approvals have crashed... We've still got a whole bunch of supply still hitting the market now, and we'll, we'll likely do it in the next uh, next six months as the completions catch up. So we're still looking at more supply, but the um, but further ahead, we're looking mm. at a big you know big job crater. Yeah, and the very 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 thin silver lining on that very dark cloud is that um, the 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 amount of jobs in in building high rises is generally less than what you see in uh, in in building. Houses. Mm, so when okay. you get, yeah. So so if you had had a housing boom um, where we had built that number of houses, the employment there would have been so much more employment, mm. which would then you know been lost as well. So yeah, that's a very 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 thin silver lining. Very dark cloud. But but, yeah. but both segments are falling. It's just that high rises obviously drove went up much more. It's now falling much more. Houses mm. are just falling a lot more subtly. Yeah, so okay. they didn't have the big boom. And, yeah. and just a quick one. Um, obviously, we've been following. Um, with uh, with vigor the uh, the uh, and I'm speaking more about out my out my way where we've got the land uh, issues the house and land packages that are now starting to um, you know really gather gather pace um, would we expect this it's almost like so, a so bit when of, you say gather pace you know? uh, well the falls gathering pace rather the um, the what would you call the, the the running for the exits I guess is if you if you have a look on Gumtree for starters <laughs> um, so. Is this like a bit of a potential double hit? So we've got perhaps a, a blow off or a falling down in um, in apartments, and then something you know another story, another narrative to play out in these house and land packages. So yeah, there's well, a DFA um, thing that was he was talking about. You know, yeah, well, well, as well, well, Melbourne Melbourne um, lot prices. So that's that's you know d- d- detached um, vacant house prices. Mm. Um, it's you know exploded by I think thirty percent a year. Yeah, uh, and and you know they've. They've, they've they've grown to ridiculous levels. They Melbourne lot lot prices were usually about two hundred thousand, and mm. I think they're now close to four hundred thousand. So they went up thirty percent, I think, in the last year, and the year before that they went up about twenty odd. Yep. And um, they've just experienced you know ridiculous growth, and it's a massive bubble out there. There's no doubt about it. We've had um, 
a lot of uh, recent arrivals into Australia have been speculating quite hard. Mm. And, uh, well, and it's it's sort of a leverage game without le- without the debt behind it in a way because it's you stick your ten thousand dollars down yep. you've booked your your thing and then when when it comes up time to pay and you can what you're able to do before was to resell that and okay I've made you know I've made fifty grand on on my ten thousand investment or whatever and isn't that great let me go do that again and again and again until the day when you you wake up yep. and ten thousand dollars is gone and plus all the other ones you've yeah and we saw this we saw this in melbourne in the early 2000s with um and probably sydney as well with you know the, the henry k phenomenon mm. uh, except it was with more more with apartments where people were buying buying places without deposits using deposit bonds hoping that the prices would go up and then you could uh, sell it. it for a profit mm. uh, but unfortunately the uh, the tide's gone out and they're all swimming naked mm. Mm. very good okay so lucky last chart uh, this is basically a play on the previous one which showed um the dwelling construction across Australia. Now, what I've done here is just broken up the uh, the monthly trend approvals data across the capital cities. So, sorry, across the, the the major states, I should say, not the capital cities, but obviously that's very capital city heavy. And um, and, and what it's shown is that uh, across the nation, uh, monthly trend approvals are down 20%, 27% from peak. New South Wales is down, thir- down 29%, Victoria is down 34%, Queensland down 49%. WA's approvals are down 51% and South Australia is down 37%. Mm. So pretty much across all the five major markets, we've had a big decline in dwelling approvals. Um, and, but, and what's, just remind us what the rough um, time frame from dwelling approval to... Depends. If, if, if it's a detached house, it's uh, six months to a year. If it's a yeah. high-rise apartment, it's more like two years. How about sorry? How about in terms of just getting the shovels? So, so it's so it's pretty quick though. Into like on average, it's what two or three months before they're actually employing people to yeah to um, stuff. Or is... it, it also depends on whether or not they actually go from approval to commencement. Like typically, yes. yeah, that's sorry, that's, 90, what I, that's what I was asking. Yeah. So the difference between approvals and commencements. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, uh, typically about 95 percent. I think the ABS said of appro- uh, approvals end up being commenced. Right. Five five percent get cancelled. There is obviously the risk now that bubbles burst. Mm. That some of these ones that have been approved won't end up going ahead. Um, I'm just trying to. It, it's it's pretty quick. If you, if you, if you, if Tim goes back a chart, you can actually uh, get a pretty good idea uh, where I've plotted approvals and and commencements. They're actually they they vol- they follow about one quarter or maximum two yeah. quarter behind. So it's blue versus right. red there. That blue, that's it, blue versus red. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so we're looking at about three, months. three to six months yeah. of difference between um, approval and then commencement. Mm-hmm. But then there's obviously a long, pretty big lag between commencement and completion. Okay. Yeah, sure. And that's yeah, and, and, and that time frame has extended um, since we had the high-rise boom because that takes longer to build. To build out. Okay, very good. So, um, well, on that, um, I guess we move into headwinds and tailwinds for uh, for Melbourne or for Australian property prices. Yeah, well, uh, I suppose we can go back to Damo's question now. Um, uh, I mean, one one frame of reference through which we can look at uh, potential house prices is credit availability. As Damo said, the Royal Commission had uh, heavily crimped uh, lending standards. Uh, and of course, behind that, we've got the RBA, who has become incredibly recalcitrant about um, cutting rates. Uh, and those, those, uh, t- and on top of that, of course, we've got um, APRA's uh, macro prudential stuff, which some of it uh, is still in play. Um, some of it came in and went out again on inv- investors. But all of these various factors 
and oh, sorry, I should add as well, uh, we've got um, you know fiscal factors to consider. Um, although I guess they'd, they'd be separate to credit availability. We'll come back to those. So, um, so in terms of RBA and APRA, there's basically a war mm. on on how to conduct Australian monetary policy right now. Um, it's being fought between um, RBA, APRA, ASIC, um, MB, and the <laughs> AFR, largely. <laughs> um, and, and, and banks. And banks, more, most importantly. The AFR being the banks, more or less. <laughs> um, uh, you know, um, it's really obvious that the RBA is miles behind the curve. Mm. Uh, there's absolutely no reason for them not to have already cut interest rates. Uh, they seem to have unilaterally decided uh, to, to change their um, uh, inflation um, target. Uh, nobody really quite understands why. Mm. Uh, maybe they're trying to deflate the housing bubble. Um, maybe they're not. Nobody knows. But they've been they've narrowed themselves down now to one single data point as their trigger for action, which is you know, the worst one to use, the most lagging indicator in employment. Mm. Um, and even that one, uh, UBS had some great research out this morning showing, you know, a rounding error on the unemployment rate could now be the trigger for RBA action. <laughs> no. You know, so, I mean, it's just absurd that they've basically dismissed 95% of their data feed um, mm. to come down to this one point on whether or not they should cut. Yeah. And coming back to, to Leith's point about... Um the, you know, nine percent of the, the uh, Australian economy in, in construction, and and that's just direct. Then you get all the the the, Absolutely. the ones behind that. There's probably a multiplier of uh, at least another fifty percent, maybe maybe more. Oh, mm. I mean, there that's, are there are profit profit warnings raining down yeah. from from building suppliers, um, yeah. and then you've got consumption and so and wealth if, effects. If you yeah. were running a if you were running a central bank and you knew there was a particular sector that was coming off steam. And that was the that was your, you know, the housing part of your economy is one of the most cyclical parts, and you're going to wait till that halves before you see the effect in the housing market, before you see the effect in the unemployment rate. Mm. At which stage the thing's already halved, and it's too late to to turn that thing around. So you sort of yep. you've picked, yeah. Not only have you picked, as you said, the, one of our most la lagging indicators, but given it's actually a housing problem, and and how much of the economy is is how the economy's jobs are based around that, then you're you're sort of You've you've also tied yourself to the fact that look, this thing will either magically get better and 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 we'll be off and running, or we're going to have a big downturn. There's sort of almost nothing in between. Yeah, mm. yeah basically, and they'll have, they'll be forced to cut harder and deeper than otherwise later. Yeah, and and, and uh, as as alluded to by um, Dana and Dave, it's not just construction. You've got they've got retail, which is I think that's seven percent of the employment. That's uh, heavily impacted as a wealth effect. We've also got manufacturing. Manufacturing jobs have come off. They, they rose quite strongly over the previous two years. In the last half, they've come off quite strongly. And I don't know the exact reason, but I'm guessing it's because inputs into the housing supply process, like plasterboard, et cetera, um, have, have, have shrunk. So now manufacturing's shrinking as well. Mm. Um, all, so, the, all the PMIs are indicating falling employment. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I guess it's probably 25% of the labour markets. Um, very exposed to yeah. house prices. Job ads have been falling for well over a year. The, the RBA has hung everything on um, ABS job vacancies, which is the complete outlier yep. in mm -hmm. all the data. Uh, it's behaving, it really is behaving very poorly. Anyway, um, job losses are coming. 
the RBA is going to be forced to cut. Um, so, I mean, whenever that happens, you know, I guess when we get our rounding error in employment or unemployment and it's finally forced to to get off its chair, we're going to see a couple of cuts through the second half of the year. Mm. There's another complicating factor here, which is APRA. This is where we come to the war. Um, for one reason or another, the banks have launched a major lobbying push to get APRA to slash uh, some of its macro prudential lending standards, the main one being uh, this uh, 7.25% um, interest rate buffer, which is, you know, at the moment when you lend, you've got to uh, you've got to assume that the borrower can repay at 7.25%, when in fact, you know, real mortgage rates are around what are they four? Mm. Yeah, um, uh, and so everybody's complaining that that's unrealistic and absurd. Um, of course, you can't look at that in isolation. And, and having said that, you know, MB, oh, so so the nucleus, we 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 bang on about interest rates staying low for longer and 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 being in a, a, a secular stagnation and things like that. So so I guess in terms of the like, we certainly buy the argument that that interest rates are going to be much lower for much longer. But I guess it's it more comes back to the uh, I guess the, the the visual of the banks influencing. Um, APRA, yeah, you know, two months after they've been uh, you know, trawled through the the Royal Commission for for spending all their time being too friendly with APRA and, and influencing it and trashing lending standards. Yeah, so, yeah. Exactly. Like in in a in a governance sense, it's absolutely just a terrible optic. Yep. Really bad. Um, just a quick uh, one, but, but but as well, like just in terms of management of monetary policy, like you know, you you. Your sort of uh, raw club is, money, is is the interest rate, mm. and then you refine with macro potential. It's more your, you know, when you're turning the knobs to get things right. If if you don't want to misallocate credit one way or another, All right? So, if you want to have an impact, and what we have here is a very, um, you know, swiftly declining and sliding economy chasing a housing bust down. Now, you you can. Turn these knobs on macroprudential, and it might make some sort of effect, what have you. But what they really are is kind of insurance for you, the way you use the interest rate lever. Hmm. So, you know, whether or not you want certain, as I say, credit to go in certain directions, they're not supposed to be the master control for monetary policy. Well, more importantly, but, on exactly that same theme, what it's meant to do is it's meant to make sure that. You don't get credit all of a sudden accumulating in one small part of the, the, the sector. So you basically yes. go, okay, we've got lots of credit out there. We don't want it all ending up in the housing market yes. when we really want it to be in the businesses. Yes. And, and, and in the middle of a bust, do you want houses, do you want it sort of going back into first home buyers to go out and leverage themselves up to buy new houses? Or do you actually prefer businesses to be out there, other businesses to be out there borrowing to, to, to fund well, expansion? And, productive is, versus non productive. But is that a solution yeah. then where. Um, and I don't know if this is in APRA's purview, where rather than trying to restrict, which they're doing, obviously it's working in the housing side, is trying to then open up in the commercial credit side. Is that is that or is that just an automatic uh, well, stabiliser of having very low interest rates and being able to borrow you cheaply? Mean, could they turn the knob on commercial lending? What I'm saying, yeah. So is there well, a they, they could try with vote. fiddling with their their Baal three yeah. stuff and whatever. But there's a bigger problem than that is is that the banks, you know, are now structurally dependent on house prices to lend hmm. to, to businesses. Yep. Right? Yep. They've got all their collateral is tied up in 
for business lending in houses mm. because they lost the art of business lending over yeah. this bubble. Yeah. Uh, and you can see the government's trying to fix that through various funds and whatever, but they're all way too small to make any material yeah. difference. And, and a lot of that's because it's easy. The small businessman turns up and says, I'd like to get a loan rather than having yeah. to trawl through his accounts and his books and all that type of yeah. stuff. You say, well, you got any equity in your house? Great. Yeah, that's I'll right. Have it. Yeah. 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 Done. And that's cheap for yeah. the bank. It I is. Mean, you know, there's no, there's no cost in assessing the loan. So, um, so anyway, um, they can't really turn up commercial, no. Um, but, I mean, I'll, it's very obviously what the correct path is here. You, you cut interest rates uh, to try and stabilise things a bit and get more credit into productive stuff as well as... Lower help. As well as stabilise prices a bit mm. uh, uh, and, you know, allow a little bit more spending and... You know, just ease up on what are very distinct and clear mortgage pressures right across the household se- sector. And if you see, you know, credit going in the wrong spot, then you tighten macro prudentially, mm. right? I mean, this is what we did over the last four years to end the bubble in the first place. Mm. You know, the RBA cut um, and then they stupidly resisted macro prudential for years to manage the credit impulse that they created. Mm. Now, you, you're just putting the cart before the horse if you're going to start doing stuff with that, you know, ahead of RBA. It may be in the end that the RBA slashes and burns and, and, and ends up at zero interest rate policy or our version of it, maybe 50 basis points, and then the APRA still has to wind back. But you don't go APRA first, you go RBA first. But and partly because you want you, we want the Aussie dollar down, is, and you is want the a, dollar down yeah. exactly, and that's and that's productive. Like mm. that's productive investment that you're yeah. triggering, right? Yeah. And wh- wh- when Dave says productive investment, because basically what happens, Aussie dollar falls, uh, companies then in Australia are, are more, more competitive. competitive versus foreigners. Yeah. Uh, if companies multinationals are thinking about hiring somebody in Singapore, or thinking about hiring somebody in in Sydney, they're more likely to pick Sydney. Um, you know, it's just that whole. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, and so that's where our, our thesis is that that's where the next, the next drive has to, has to come from. Mm. Yeah. So I, I don't think that APRA will, will cut these buffers before the RBA cuts, but I really don't know. I mean, the whole, the whole amount of money management process in Australia is busted. Yep. Um, as you say, you're making as good a suggestion as anyone in turning a knob on commercial lending, and you, they might do it. Like they might try because all the rules are out the window. Mm. Yeah, the RBA's busted its own um, uh, mandate. Mm. APRA long ago broke out of its mandate. There's been no assessment of how the two are combining. Um, it's all we, secret. It's all, it's all secret. Uh, supposedly operating through the Council of Financial Regulators, but but you know, like. We could see four rate cuts and, and the decimation of lending standards in the next 12 months, for all I know, and, yep. and the boom go nuts. Mm. Yeah. Right? I mean, or we could see APRA slash lending standards, the RBA do nothing, the dollar roar up. I mean, it's um, it's it's actually chaos. Because it's all secret. We don't know. We don't yeah. know what they're thinking. Mm. Um, you no know, whereas the RBNZ, the RBNZ, I think Dave did an article a while back saying it's got about 400 people employed there or something. The RBNZ does both, is both the central bank and the prudential regulator. It's always very transparent in what it does. It communicates to the market. You're never, you're never left in the dark about what it's thinking. Mm. And and it acts. It acts timely. Um, RBA's got over 1,000 staff. I think APRA's probably got about seven or 800. And we yeah, never know what they're thinking. They, they always work across purposes. 2,000 staff versus 400 at the RBNZ. 
Yeah. The RBNZ's got capital targets on the banks there that are, are splendid. Yep. You know, they, they rely on big, dumb rules. That work. That work. They don't need staff creeping around in bank offices and, and you know, doing handshake deals in, in boardrooms and whatever. They don't need all that staff. Well, p- partly as well, though, because... It- None of the banks are local, because so so you don't have as much of the you don't have as when, when all your banks are foreign banks, um, you don't have that whole we can't let this bank fall over because that'll decimate the economy. Ma- maybe so, but but they, for them, it's, I yeah. mean it's still a, a great working model. Yeah, well, and, and, and we mustn't forget the the, the UK has gone towards the the um, the New Zealand model as well. I mean, the UK separated the provincial regulator regulator from the central bank. We had the GFC that brought them back together because mm. they realised it didn't work. So I think what's going on with the campaign to gut <laughs> lending standards at APRA is uh, as, as interest rates fall, the banks are going to see more net interest margin pressure. Like they, Even though, though they'll keep some of the um, – uh, hold some of the interest rate um, cuts back in their mortgage rates, I think they'll do that regardless of any political pressure. Mm. Um, they're hitting the zero bound in what they can do with their deposit rates, like they can't cut them any lower. So they start to see net interest margin pressure. So um, they're, they're going to struggle to grow profits. And in fact, they may see profit shrinkage. Hmm. And so this is why the banks have kind of enlisted the, the help of the AFR to try and resist further interest rate cuts and to use these APRA tools instead. Uh, I, that is my best guess. Hmm. Now, yeah. we know how corrupt Australia is. Um, especially banks and these captured regulators. So it's just an open question of can they resist? Mm. Can they APRA resist? I mean, I think even if they do, I don't think that they could turn the knob on the APRA lending standards fast enough for it to matter for house prices. Um, and, largely and because it's also a question about pushing on a string, though, as well, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, and, and they're, you don't get any public kick out of it. Like, there'll be no... There'll be no you know, new bullish sentiment in the market from yeah. APRA turning the knob on on obscure lending standards. It's also yeah. probably a second-order issue in a lot of ways because the, the bigger issue is the inflation of... Ex, uh, sorry, the suppression of expenses through the use of the household expansion measure, which is what the, all the banks did um, prior to the Royal Commission. So mm-hmm. they basically... Banks allowed... Banks banks um, relied on a poverty measure to assess people's um, expenditure rather than what they actually spend. And this, that's, this, um, is, this is the hem. Yes, mm. the household expense of the hem, and um, the uh, ASIC's currently battling Westpac uh, in court over effectively the hem, and that should help determine whether it's going to be appropriate in the future. Um, the, that, the, the Royal Commission has already trashed it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, I guess if if we assume that the the hem never comes back in its previous form, and banks have to do proper expense assessment. It, that's probably a more important drain on credit availability and future house prices than, than say, dropping the interest rate buffer by, you know, from seven seven point two five to six and a half or six percent. Yep. So, so, so I don't think it will have as bigger impact as, uh, um, as some people think, provided so, the hem is still outlawed. So, so yeah, you're essentially it, using the banks as the arresting factor well, in, in mortgage growth. Yeah, but because uh, I guess it comes back to saying, as you said, it, it makes a little bit of a difference if they cut yep. cut it because then people can can borrow a little bit more. So, but the so so the question is though, uh, probably more important is what David was alluding to, is saying this this though is the start of something that sounds dangerous in terms of yeah. you know where does the corruption end? Yeah, mm. three 
three months. Are we in three months past the Royal Commission? No, two months past yeah. the Royal Commission. And already, they're already trying to, you know, <laughs> yeah. can you just loosen the rules up over here and change the rules a bit for me over there and all that type of stuff. Mm. Sort of like saying, well, how, how can you possibly be doing that so so quickly? Yeah. Um, so it's, and that's a sign as David, I am sort of want to pull you back on, on something you said, you know, if, if the RBA cuts four times and um, we loosen up all the credit standards and housing goes bananas, that's a question, that's a bit where I can see the first two happening <laughs> And whether four times or three times or whatever the, the, their limit is, um, you know, maybe some quantitative easing. The question is, will that is is that housing going bananas a a necessary a, an automatic um, you know consequence of that happening? And that's where I'll, I'll sort of dis- disagree with you and say, well, I don't, I don't think it is automatic. If you've got enough of a housing crash, then people will step back yeah. and say, and, and as we saw in Perth, you know, that we still had lots of all this stuff was happening in Perth. We still had all the loose lending standards. But that market was done, and and people were stepping back and saying, "Well, housing, you know, mining boom's finished," and we just saw house prices keep on sliding, and, and people didn't step in, and so that's what I, that's where I guess I'm coming from is saying, "Well, if if it's progressed far enough, and I, I think it probably has, and I think the fact that the RBA has waited so long, and, and obviously waiting a few more months, is that you know we I do think we passed that point where even if you do cut and loosen up." Um, you won't necessarily it might, it might help stabilize things, but I don't think you'll see a, a new housing. You know, it's not the, the new housing boom coming. No, I, I think that that's, that's right. Like I don't, I don't think we see a boom either, in part because of the hem as yep. well. Uh, and then also, uh, uh, you know, we've got fiscal question yeah. <laughs> where we're going to see negative gearing reform, and we don't know what shape that's going to take either. Mm. It looks like it's probably going to get watered down from Labor's ideal policy but we really don't know I'm a lot more bearish on that than I, than I, than I was like I thought it was a, almost a failure completely to come in mm. and now you know assuming Labor wins um, you know I don't even think it's a 50% success but yeah, like in its current form and what do you think watering down like what's uh, just because the Senate crossbench is yeah. very against yeah. Senate yeah. But, but how, into it. like it's already pretty watered down from a so, so how will yeah, you well, further? Well, well Centre Alliance has said that... Um, so Centre Alliance seems like the only crossbenchers, apart from the Greens, uh, yeah. if you want to call them crossbench. Uh, the, the, the Greens will back Labor. They'll need probably a few more numbers. They'll probably get it if they got Centre Alliance. Mm. And Centre Alliance seems to be more in favour of just capping the number of properties. So, for example, they might say, oh, you can have... You can only negative gear one property or two properties, which isn't really going to cut the mustard. Like they'll probably knock out, I don't know, maybe 25% of... Um, negative gears. Mm. Um, I'm hoping if they do go down that road, they at least they, they, they should do what they're doing with the tax advice cap and just say you can negative gear a maximum of three thousand dollars. So actually know, put a quantifier of, for yeah, bigger yeah. rather than a um, yeah. property, so to speak. I mean, look, obviously none of this is perfect, mm. but if, if they do go down that road, I'd rather see them do that and, and and get rid of the whole you know existing versus new exemption, whatever, just clean it up. There but is just, there yeah. is one other possible. Well, I'm sure there are many permutations, but. One one thing, Centre Alliance has been running very, very hard on the franking ca- yeah, credit stuff. Yeah, can that. And, uh, like, they really hate the franking credit stuff for some reason. Yeah, they, they hate it more than negative gearing, that's They do. Sure. They've been sort of pinning all their uh, election advertising on franking credits, not negative gearing. And there may be a deal to be done there where they yeah. can swap, trade the two. And so Labor gets its property tax reforms through relatively intact mm. uh, and does, you know, does sort of trade off on franking credits in some way. It would smack um, a big hole in their budget plans, though. Yeah, mm, it would. Franking credits about $5 billion a year. Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, but, yeah, having said that, that's probably, there's probably a deal to be done to say, yeah. okay, well, let's cap it to, yeah, 
ten, twenty thousand dollars a year or whatever, which would yeah. Yeah. get you where you want it to be, yeah. which is you're not going to affect the, your your more average investor, and you are going to hit the guys who are pulling in millions of dollars of bank credits. Actually, that'd work well. That would work well. So well, there you go, new policy. So nobody ever thought that one. <laughs> uh, should we maybe just give our views then on the most likely outcome yeah. at this yeah. point? I mean, I'm happy to do that. I, I, I think basically we'll, the RBA will be forced to cut four times still, despite all of this hoopla and its its resistance. Four point two fives. So there yeah, it has to be a, yeah. yeah. Four point four times two five over the next twelve months. So cash rate of half percentage is basically what can yeah. be got down. Mm. Yeah, and that'll be the bottom. Mm-hmm. And they'll preserve some for net interest margin for the banks. Uh, and you know, God knows. We'll, we'll, and then we're in quantitative easing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and or, you know, maybe there's a bit of apra thrown in along the way, or just afterwards. I don't know. Um, uh, I think the hem stuff is likely to come in as a kind of um, adjusted hem, which uh, which is fine actually. Like if you adjust upwards. Uh, expenses according to income, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That basically takes takes away the problem with the hem, um, and it will keep lending standards still reasonably tight. Um, uh, who knows who, win, who wins the court case? But I think that that hem, that adjusted hem, is likely anyway. Um, Labor gets through a reasonably substantial reform platform, and I think that personally, I think that ends up in some price stabilisation, no rebound, um, long uh, grind, and then. Yeah, but some some stabilisation enough to sort of slow the falls, um, make them some of them more real than nominal, um, and and critically as well, um, this depends on you know kind of labour coming in and just spending its ass off mm. um, to su- to su- support the broader economy, um, thanks largely to um, you know three hundred unfortunate Brazilians who uh, have have died in a mining accident that's just sent Australia's terms of trade to the moon. So meaning that the government's going to have lots of money to spend for the next couple of years. There, there is also another sleeper. Can I add just yeah. one other thing? Um, Labor's, um, I, I won't go on too much about how bad the policy is, but, but Labor has basically said that it'll allow um, all migrants in Australia to bring in two elderly parents each uh, if it's elected for periods of 10 years and then extendable for another 10 years, so effectively permanently. Uh, and that's there's a potential then that um, we could see a lot of, um, I guess, people sell up offshore, come into Australia and buy houses here, mm, okay. which will be legal. Um, so basically, for every skilled migrant we bring in, we could also get two parents come with them mm. and all the money they've got. Mm. Um, and, and all the healthcare. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's, <laughs> Costs, it's, uh, it's an abysmal, abysmal, yeah. abysmal policy, but... Um, Especially when you care about so-called aging population, you're going to age it. You buy one, get three. Um, yeah. So anyway, but enough of that. But, but it is a sleeper for the housing market if it does get ahead, uh, go ahead, because you could see, you know, we've, we obviously saw the impact of foreign buyers in the last over the last five years. Mm. Well, this could be foreign buyers on steroids. Mm. Okay. Yep. Damo, you want to throw in some projections uh, or estimations? Yeah, I, th- I think the. I guess the way I look at it is more. I think we're we're headed down a a dark path at the moment, and I think there's the RBA waiting means that there's more potential for a for a quite a negative outcome mm. and and quite a negative downside. So I guess I, I tend to think of it in, in in probabilities. 
And so I think without doing anything, um, I think the cases would be quite dire. And you see some of the some of the real housing bears come out and, and you know talk about this destruction and value and, and you know how, how there's going to be blood in the streets. And you can say, well, on the path we're on at the moment, I can see that happening. Mm. Having said that, I think um, there's going to be a lot thrown at the housing market to try and hold it up. Mm. And I think especially if a the Labor government gets in and um, has got um, you know the housing the, ne- the negative gearing and, and this money to throw at it, and so for me it's about saying, well, how successful is that going to be? At the moment, I think it's going to be successful um, at, at stabilising it, but um, I still think there is you know some some significant risk of, of, of downside. So, and I, and I can't see the scenarios where the whole thing turns around and bounces back and, and, and house prices sort of you know start going up. I do think that slow grind grind sideways is a you know is is possibly the, the best outcome we can be we can be hoping for yeah sure um, can I, i'll just add like as you say like the further into it the more risk you take mm. and the like there is this um there's a sort of a kernel of evil if you like at the heart of the australian banks on housing lending um which is uh the way they they um risk adjust their capital for mortgages mm. um, and it's 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 got this rehypothecation thing at the center of it which is when you're taking you know one set of collateral and pledging it multiple times and it means that they've been able to you know heavily discount capital constantly uh, in uh, which has enabled them to mu- to multiply and multiply and multiply their lending over time on a small capital base mm. and there there is a point somewhere a tipping point where the falling collateral um, actually starts to reverse this mm. and they have to start ga- like gathering capital. It's almost like a margin loan. Yeah, yep. and they have to start bringing in capital uh, as, you know, their collateral implodes on itself. Yep. Uh, and this is the risk that all the authorities are taking is that you reach that point and that the banks themselves become, uh, you know, little time bombs that are unable to lend. They have to start pulling lending as they increase their capital. And so at that point, if you allow it to get to there, then you're in very serious trouble. Yes. And where that is, nobody knows. No. But, is it, like, but does that turn into a too big to fail, sort of put your hand up and, and get oh, a handout sort of situation? That turns into a massive accident and bailout. Yeah. 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 And, and, and you know, we need to remember that the banks are only hold on average $2 of capital per $100 lent on mm. mortgage. Yeah. So they're very thinly capitalised. Mm. Yeah. And so that's, that's the... the the, another reason why I think the RBA is being bloody irresponsible yep. in, in what it's doing, but um, that is a, like the core kind of risk for the big crash, the you know the big short, yep. etc. Uh, and it is just sitting there, mm. as, and we get closer and closer every day while prices fall, and you just don't know exactly where that point is. Yeah, no, it's all secret. And, and that's yeah, that's so that's my point is that don't discount you know you see some 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 people come out and, and talk about the you know this is this is going to be down 40 percent this is going to you know this will this will be bust and you've got to have your money under your mattress and all that type of stuff and i say well i think a lot of their their reasoning is all based around this fact of this is a trajectory we're on we're going to keep going and you know we're just going to play onto the ground saying well no the you know we, we do have the ability to to lift the plane back up again mm. but if you hit stall speed and the engines die then You've got no option. You, yeah. <laughs> then there's a lot more. Tr- there's a lot more trouble. So, um, you know, I guess I'm looking at the negative sides of it. I think I do think, you know, in those negative cases, uh, it, it isn't a matter of having gold or having you know your money buried in your backyard and, and things like that. I do think that 
the the Australian government will step in and bail out um, banks if, if need be in, mm. in those negative scenarios. We saw um, we saw that happen in Ireland. So probably the best analogy where I, the Irish government effectively bailed out the German banks. Um, and so I do think you know, given it's Australia bailing out Australian banks, I think there's a there's certainly an analogy there. Yep. Um, and Australia hasn't got that much debt, you know, in, in, at a government level, so we'll yeah. certainly step across. But it undoubtedly but, comes with a with a, a much deeper house price bust. So yes. you end up down forty percent almost in, yeah. in thirty forty in nominal terms, not not real over ten. But yeah, so 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 I think there's a there's a bit of a bifurcation point where I still think the the base case is right. What the guys are saying is, is you know we 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 house prices keep fall keep falling for a little while uh, and. Uh, various authorities throw everything they can at it and, and we sort of stabilise and, and hopefully, as you said, David, a lot of it gets done by the inflation rate. So if, if house prices can stay still and we get a bit of inflation, then you get some real price house price falls. But the flip side is, um, you know, don't discount there is that negative, you know, a few non-linear events that could drive it much lower. Mm. So, um, yeah, so and, you need to be careful. And, and that is part of the problem now. I mean, previous housing corrections, we've had high inflation. So back in the early 80s, there was one. In the 70s, we had one. Mm. But it was all on the, the, the real side because yep. inflation was running so high, the prices didn't actually need to adjust. They need to tread water for a few years. And, and and a, lot uh, of, a lot of the time, um, wage growth would just inflate. That's right. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. right. Yeah, because just back back in the late 70s, we had the wage price index uh, going up by about 20%. Yeah. <laughs> so, so your mortgage, you know, it's a great time to be in debt. Um, your mortgage would just uh, the your mortgage would get eroded away, and you'd basically you know inflate your way out of your debt. But now we've got you know minimal inflation, so it means all the adjustments got to happen to the headline price yeah. of homes. Minimal yeah, wage growth, but, but minimal inflation and an RBA that doesn't one, want to want to come back despite minimal inflation. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, right. And a business press wants to lower the. Uh, Inflation target to one percent. So, but, but it's going to be a lot it's more. In, it's going to be a lot more in your face. Mm. Um, you know, adjustment yeah. on the nominal side when you actually see your prices fall is a lot harsher than through inflation. If your well, wages and everything's and, going up, and, and the prices are sustained treading water. And also, the part of you can just hold your debt steady for a few yep. years. Then, as a and your wages will go up, and eventually you'll you'll be yep. able to afford it a bit more. But when when um, you haven't got that inflation and your debt starts to get out of control, and yeah, that's yeah. when people have to default. Unfortunately, in Australia, a big, a huge mortgage today is still a big mortgage in ten years' time. Yeah, well, back in the seventies, yeah. it was you know small mortgages, and then ten years' time, it was almost gone because mm. of inflation. Yep, yep. Interesting. Um, just one uh, final question, actually, or point um, prior to just jumping into the investment implications was: Do you think that um, essentially Australia might find themselves uh, in a, between a rock and a hard place vis-a-vis population due to a, a, like a lack of demand and the ability to just as we know, turn on the old inflation, the old population demand tap when things become difficult. Do you see that as a, as a rising issue? Look, it's a fascinating question. I mean, we we have very successfully destroyed the immigration narrative over the last couple of years, um, as a nation or no, MB, MB, MB has, yeah. and, and really turned it turned it on its head, mm. where it was you know an almost unquestioned kind of benefit to. To, to now, you know, a kind of ongoing pain in the ass for everybody slowly ratcheting up, you know, the, the um, or slowly lowering your living standards. Mm. Uh, and I, I think really that debate is over. Like, we, we won that debate comprehensively, but it's made no difference whatsoever. Yeah, the politics are still the same. I mean, yeah, the like three, three, three major parties, are, they're all on a unity ticket, so it's hard to break the nexus. Yeah. Can, I, can I be a little bit more specific with, a, with immigration? Because I think there's a, 
there's there's a few different elements to it. One is um, when countries are going well, and, and take Australia for example, in the financial crisis or just following the financial crisis, where uh, you know our economy was recovering and and most others were in the in the toilet, um, and that sort of a big push. People in in other developed countries would say, "Oh, okay, you know things are going well in Australia. Maybe I move to Australia and I find a job." And I, yeah. you know, and and you get that. Uh, you get the immigration that you'd call good immigration, which is people looking for opportunities and, and they're going to come here and they're going to work and there's, there is work for them to do and, and mm-hmm. there's all that type of stuff. Um, there's another type of immigration, which is uh, we've just sold you a degree, for which is you know, for, to people who can't speak a lot of English and, and possibly wouldn't have got – well, it seems the evidence seems to show that they wouldn't have got that degree without sort of uh, – if they weren't paying big mm-hmm. dollars to be, to be in the country – uh, and if they're coming from from um, if they're coming to the the country and, and and then you say okay is that immigration adding or subtracting and they're certainly um, you know adding to the congestion and, and things like that they're not particularly productive while they're students still and the question is if they if they didn't, shouldn't have got the degree then they come out and they're driving an Uber or or working at McDonald's um, they're probably not really adding a lot to the to the whole economy mm-hmm. and then the third type is as Leith said if you if you bring in a lot of um, uh, and senior, senior senior people yeah. and sorry and those but those people are adding to the house prices yep. so they're they're adding a lot to house prices but not adding much to productivity of the nation because mm-hmm. they're, they're just here studying also adding to public services yep. demand etc yep. and then and then you have the saying well let's let's bring in a little, lot of old people especially a lot of old rich people mm. um, you say well now we're just in the in the same boat again where we've got house prices going up mm. uh, um, but unproductive um, except for the fact that these people need healthcare so there'll be lots of lots of <laughs> Yes, lots of jobs for us emptying bed pans and, and doing that type of stuff. And so the question for me is partly how big is the immigration, mm. but more importantly, what type of immigration and is also, it? And also how it's dispersed, obviously. If it's all mm. coming to Sydney and Melbourne, which has been yeah. the case, is not ideal. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's, and so just quickly going back on that senior um, immigration um, potential policy, are they um, sort of mandated to, to carry things like um, private Health yeah, insurance? Yeah, so, so, oh, yeah, so they, they will have to have private health insurance. But as we know, the private health insurance basically relies on having a whole bunch of healthy young people who don't use the system subsidising all the people who do use the system. Mm. So we don't have risk-based pricing here. Yeah, sure. So basically I pay the same as my mum does, mm. even though she's 70. Um, and I haven't been a doctor in five years. Mm. Um, so obviously if you bring over, you know, hundreds, they, they think straight away we're going to have 100,000. But if you bring in hundreds of thousands over time of, elderly people who are going to be using big, big users of private health insurance, so that's yep. going to push up everyone's premiums. Yep. You're going to lead to a flight of young people mm-hmm. leaving the systems. It's too expensive. And then you get the death spiral, which you're already seeing. Uh, on top of that, obviously, it puts up demand for hospital beds, et cetera. You need to train more doctors. You need to invest more in hospitals. Doctors, um, nurses, et cetera, part of their training is paid for by taxpayers. Mm. Um, yeah, there's a lot of public subsidies. Then you've got, obviously, high demand on public transport, everything, um, all other infrastructure type services which are paid for to a large extent by taxpayers so it's yeah it's it's not a very good policy mm. that's all i can say okay yeah sure uh quick uh, roundup on investment implications sounds like we've covered a little bit in, in depth yeah the, yeah 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 so it all comes back to that you know needing protection like you you know if you if your only assets are um you know, an australian a house in australia with a big mortgage on it maybe an investment property uh, some Aussie banks sitting in your in your portfolio, plus a bunch of Aussie shares that are all you know uh, leveraged to the Australian market. Then uh, then you need some diversification. Okay. Uh, bonds are we've seen most of the gains in the bonds. There's probably a bit more. To, there's a bit more to go. We're still overweight. Yep. Not not a, nowhere near as far overweight as we were before. Um, but there's there's still an element. We still think there's, there's a good chance to outperform, especially if we see the the, the rate cut 
scenarios. So, so is that a, is that so? Um, that's a bit of uh, buy and rumor, sell and use sort of thing. So, once the RBA starts cutting, sort of in earnest, uh, bonds mm. are still going to be on the on the investment palette. Do you think? Uh, they yeah, will. They will. will. But what, what you typically see is markets will start pricing some some recovery in inflation, so you get curves steepening. Yep. So the front end of the bond curve falls much more than the back end, mm-hmm. and the back end is where. We are, and it's where the gains are. Yeah, sure. And okay. so you get diminishing returns out of the trade. Yeah. So, yeah. If, so if you own a, let's say you own a, a bond paying two percent per annum for the next, uh, well, sorry, one and a half percent per annum for the next two years, and then interest rates get cut um, down you to, down to fifty basis points overnight, mm. you know, you'll pick up a couple of percent. Yeah, right. But that's that's, that's it. it. And and that's only if you sell straight away. Mm. You know, you you got to sell that sell that two year bond straight away. Whereas if you're in the 10, 15 year bonds. You get a much bigger uplift in in, in those, mm-hmm. but we've already seen most of those gains, and we're sort of running at you know, bond rates of sort of you know, whatever tenor you are, but you're sort of one point seven, one point eight percent, and inflation's well one point three, but you know inflation should be over two. So you're basically over a ten year period, you you're looking at a negative um, real return. Mm. But the question is, maybe a negative real return might be a good <laughs> good outcome. And, and there's also the chance to trade it. That's mm. the option to, to to say, well, as things get worse, you know, that, that asset will actually go up in value and then I can use that to go and come buy other assets that have, that have come down in value. So, yeah, so those. And then uh, looking to get your money offshore where, where possible and, and reasonable, you know, there's certainly lots of issues bouncing around and trade wars and, and you do need to be quite selective about what you're buying at the moment. But yep. we just think, still think there's a, there's a decent amount of opportunities internationally as well to uh, for your money. Okay, fantastic. Plus, right. the Aussie dollar should should still fall as the RBA is forced to cut. Mm. I mean, we, we've been toying with a high dollar in the short term as China stimulates, but these this negative yield spread thing that to the US is, is very heavy headwind for the Aussie. <clears throat> and, um, you know, uh, the bulk commodities boom that we've got going, um, you know, will diminish despite China's stimulus mm. um, just because, you know, the supply side will respond over time. Okay. Yeah, so sure. you'll get more dirt from more places. Okay. No, very good. All right. Well, thanks, gentlemen, for um, a, a very full uh, podcast today. So we've covered off on uh, one of Australia's favourite topics. Uh, and also thanks to everybody who contributed on our uh, chat, our live chat as well. Um, there's lots of comments and I think rhetorical questions. I apologise if I didn't get to a, anything that was a, a real question, but we'll jump into uh, to next week. So next week we are looking at uh, Trade War 3.0. I think it we're up to 3.0, but anyway, um, perennial <laughs> subject. And I think it will be as long as Mr Trump's in power, but... Um, so that's uh, same bat time, same bat channel, 16th of May at 12.30 Australian Eastern Standard Time. Uh, and we'll see you there. Well, that's it for now, and thanks for watching. If you like what you heard today and you'd like to hear more, head over to nucleuswealth.com forward slash subscribe. Give us your email address, and in return, we'll send you a weekly email with new webinar topics, links for our podcasts, and other news from Nucleus Wealth. I certainly hope you've got something out of today, as I have, and we'll look forward to catching you at the next one. Cheers. Cheers.